Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I want to discuss an unfolding debate in Canada that may be finally taking place. One of the interesting aspects of the transgender debate here in Canada is that essentially we've never had one. In virtually every other country, there has been a robust debate on what transgenderism is, what the policies uh, should be, whether or not sex change surgeries and puberty blockers uh, for kids are appropriate. And we're starting to see that after the trans transgender movement it sort of conquered most elite institutions overnight in just a handful of years almost every major uh, western society accepted this idea that boys could become girls and girls could become boys that men could become women and women could become men and that the surgeries and the drugs necessary to accomplish so-called transition were human right but we're starting to see the pendulum swing slightly back we don't know how far that's going to go yet because i do think that it's indicative of where we're at, that the the premises of the transgender movement are still largely accepted by most societies. But that being said, we've seen a lot of changes. So in the United Kingdom, for example, which was one of the nations that went the furthest, the fastest on the transgender agenda, uh, having people arrested for making comments about transgenderism online, that's not a joke, look it up. Um, Now the National Health Service has actually shut down the country's primary uh, gender clinic, the Tavistock Clinic. There was a book written by a reporter with the BBC exposing the scandals going on at Tavistock. Whistleblowers came forward explaining that children were being rushed on the path to sex change, uh, that the so-called gender-affirming care, which is the, uh, the very Orwellian language they use to describe double mastectomies and castrations and the creation of uh, sort of faux penises and, and, and fake vaginas, that this, this these brutal treatments were being perpetrated even on minors and that these surgeries were not at all having the effect um, that that trans activists claim they would. And so the UK is now moving away even from socially transitioning children at school. Socially transitioning, for those of you who don't know, means that a child who decides to identify as a different gender, uh, this idea is almost always planted in their heads. If they're a girl, they may decide to change their name to a more masculine-sounding name and will ask to be referred to by male pronouns like he, him. If it's a boy deciding to identify as a girl, he may request a name change and again uh, ask for the feminine and pronouns uh, she, her. And so this, according now to the uh, National Health Service of the UK, is is not at all a healthy thing to do, that this should not be done in school. The report into the Tavistock Clinic recommended against uh, socially transitioning kids in school. And so in the UK, there's an ongoing discussion there, but we we start to see the pendulum swing back. Uh, Sweden and Finland, and now most recently Denmark, have actually taken positions against uh, these surgeries and puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for minors. Um, and so what's been really interesting, <clears throat> the U.S., uh, by the way, is, is sort of an outlier because unfortunately in the United States, this issue has kind of turned into a blue state versus red state issue when it really shouldn't be. Um, you know, I think progressives have every bit as much reason to oppose sex changes for kids uh, as conservatives do. But unfortunately, what you see happening in the states is that the same states that are protecting uh, the rights of children in the womb are the, are the states that are passing laws preventing um, surgeons 
2,000 doctors from perpetrating sex change surgeries on children, while the states that are abortion sanctuaries, air quotes like California, are also pushing forward um, with laws enshrining transgender premises uh, as a human right. And so there's, there's more than one way to destroy a child, and states like California and Massachusetts support all of them wholeheartedly. But here in Canada, there's basically been no debate over the transgender issue whatsoever. And it's, it's really staggering to consider the fact that virtually every single institution in the country adopted gender ideology with no public discussion whatsoever. Uh, so the Conservative Party of Canada has remained virtually silent on all of these issues. And the current federal leader, Pierre Polyev, actually voted for the so-called conversion therapy ban, which we've discussed on this podcast before. Uh, the Liberal Party of Canada and the New Democratic Party of Canada have adopted gender ideology as a fundamental tenet of their platform. And public schools have implemented this as part of the curriculum. And of course, the one of the policies that is, is most discussed now is it is it is a policy across Canada in public schools that essentially if a child wants to change his or her gender identity, wants to be referred to by a different name or wants to have uh, be referred to by different pronouns, that they can request that this be done at school. And the school is actually obliged, obligated to keep this from the parents. In other words, you've got teachers who are in the employ of the state schools who are making an incredibly significant change to a child's life, changing their name, changing their pronouns, and then keeping this information away from the parents as a matter of policy. So the the bedrock assumption of this policy is that all parents are potentially dangerous and thus they must be kept out of the lives of their children, despite the fact that all the research indicates that socially transitioning has an incredibly uh, enormous psychological impact on children, which is one of the reasons that the report investigating the Tavistock Clinic in the UK uh, explicitly advised against it, because even changing names, even changing pronouns has has a huge psychological impact on children. But all of this was implemented without any robust public discussion. There was no parliamentary discussion at any point with politicians debating whether or not the premises of the transgender movement should be enshrined into law. It was simply taken for granted that this was the next step after the redefinition of marriage and the acceptance of gay rights. There was never any discussion between schools and parents about what the best policy approach to the idea of gender-confused children should be. No, this just happened overnight. Parents were not told, and the media largely ignored it. And the media in Canada, for anybody who you know goes onto the CBC or CTV or Global News or any of the main rag newspapers, will know that with the exception of some coverage from the National Post, virtually every single newspaper not only cheerleads for transgender policies, but again assumes them as fact. Their reporting comes from the premises that the transgender movement's um, the transgender movement's foundational claims are objectively true. But now it seems like just in the last couple of months that there may finally be a debate developing here in Canada. And I just want to kind of take a look at both what I think might be developing. I've been covering this at LifeSite News um, on my blog there almost weekly. Because I I think it's really interesting to see what might be happening. I'm not entirely optimistic that this will turn into a a full a full fledged debate, and I'll get to the reasons for that in a moment. But this is certainly the first time there's been any indication of pushback against any of the premises of the transgender movement, and it started a couple of months ago with Blaine Higgs, the uh, premier of New Brunswick. 
he decided to make a small policy change that ensured that children who were requesting a change in gender identity, new names, new pronouns, in other words, what's referred to as socially transitioning, that the parents had to be involved, that the parents had to be informed. And immediately in response to this, you saw a huge backlash for LGBT activists. And, and their, their reaction, I think, was very revealing. Because again, this wasn't even a, like a really ballsy sort of policy that said, you know, parents need to give permission for X, Y, Z, um, that the premises of the transgender movement need to be reconsidered, uh, that we shouldn't be reading books about transgender crayons to five or six year olds in school. Kids shouldn't be taught that gender and sex are different things in the public school system. None of that. All of that, I think, should happen, of course, but none of that. This was a very, very anodyne policy that simply stated parents needed to be kept in the loop when these fundamental decisions about the lives of their children and the psychological well-being of their children uh, were being made. And instantly, uh, LGBT activists claimed uh, that if this policy were to be implemented, that trans kids would commit suicide. And this is the blackmail that trans activists always use, that if at any point you disagree with anything they have to say, if you oppose their agenda, if you oppose sex changes for minors, if you oppose putting kids on puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones that can have tremendous physical, irreversible physical effects, any opposition to that means that trans kids might kill themselves. That's immediately the claim. And the claim was made in New Brunswick right away. And a, a, a unsurprisingly, a so-called, uh, you know, children's advocate and not incidentally a former liberal MLA came forward and said he suspected that this policy, again, a policy just to keep parents in the loop, was likely a violation of the rights of children under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, of course, is now a largely useless document because progressive justices and judges just use it to invent whatever new right they want to out of thin air. And so even five years ago, the idea that children would have the right to change their name, change their gender identity, change their pronouns at school with parents not being informed would be wild to any thinking person. Now, though, it's asserted as if this is obvious. There was no debate. Things did change, but we were just told that it was obviously, obviously wrong to tell parents what was going on in the lives of their children, that parental rights fundamentally don't exist. And now you have all of these media outlets claiming that uh, parental rights are like an anti-LGBT dog whistle, that the idea that mothers and fathers should be involved with fundamental decisions being made about the lives of their children, um, that these are somehow dog whistles. And now the LGBT activists here in Canada are getting very, very panicked because following from that, you saw, uh, I almost said governor, sorry, Premier Scott Moe of Saskatchewan implement a similar policy mandating that parents be informed um, of any social transitioning going on at school. And these policies have proven to be wildly popular. We were talking about north of 70% of people support this. As it turns out, parents want to be involved in the lives of their children and are very enthusiastic about policies that uphold their right to be involved in the lives of their children, and especially policies that prevent schools from keeping secrets about their kids from them. And so Scott Moe put forward his policy, and it was just fantastic because the polls that came out immediately indicated the popularity of that. Following that, um, we also had the education minister in Ontario, Stephen Leachy. This isn't a matter of policy yet, but he said kids should 
always, always um, have their parents involved in these decisions and that schools should be involving parents in these discussions. Uh, Premier Doug Ford echoed similar rhetoric. Um, what's interesting, of course, is that in Alberta, where you have a, the libertarian Premier Danielle Smith, who we swapped for uh, social conservative Jason Kenney, um, ironically, Alberta may be one of the only provinces that doesn't implement um, a parental rights policy. Uh, Danielle Smith has said she just wants to stay away from it when asked about it in interviews. Um, and there's a couple of things that I think are important to highlight here. The, the first uh, thing is that it just takes one politician to finally have the guts to say what everybody else is thinking and the dominoes start to fall. And in that case, that was New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs. When Blaine Higgs decided to step forward and essentially say, you know what? Parents do have rights. They need to be involved in these discussions and then refuse to back down. Uh, two attempts to have him removed as leader hilariously failed. As it turns out, nobody's really interested in dislodging a premier that um, respects their rights. And the LGBT activists do not have the support that they thought that they had because it was of Blaine Higgs action that Scott Moe took action. When Scott Moe took action, suddenly uh, the faux conservatives in the Ontario government thought, hey, uh, this is actually really popular. It might be safe to poke our heads above the parapets instead of being cowed by eunuchs and trans activists all the time. And now we're starting to see that conservative politicians are waking up and they are realizing that it Parental rights are very, very popular, but you needed one guy to break from the herd to do that. I have been writing for years that the vast majority of Canadians are not in the camp of Justin Trudeau. Uh, they just vote based on other issues, but they don't share the radical gender agenda. They don't share the radical abortion agenda. They don't share the radical agenda that the progressives put forward and, and simply assert as fact. And one of the reasons you see uh, so many Muslim Canadians getting involved in these protests across the country right now, which LifeSite has been covering, is because these Muslim parents are incredibly upset when they realize that they are fine leaving the LGBT movement alone, but the LGBT movement isn't going to leave their kids alone, that their kids are going to be taught these things in school, that the kids are going to be taught that their gender and their sex are distinct from each other, that their gender is fluid, uh, that any sexual behavior uh, is on the table, and they'll actually be provided with books like uh, the graphic novel Gender Queer, which will give them specific information on how to conduct uh, these sexual acts. The Canadian deal for decades is we're a multicultural country where different communities do their own thing and leave each other alone. But the LGBT movement wants their view to be held by everybody. They want their worldview taught to other people's kids. And this, again, it's very anodyne, very, very common sense policy from Blaine Higgs and then followed up by Scott Moe and at least friendly noises coming from the Ontario government doing the same thing has outraged them because... It's the first indication uh, that Canadians actually oppose the agenda that's been unfolding with almost no opposition now for five to ten years. And what's really interesting is that it shows that the LGBT movement is largely a paper tiger. And I've been saying this for a long time. Conservative politicians refuse to run on what would be objectively popular policies because they're scared, because they're cowards, because they refuse to actually do what's in the best interests of Canadian parents and Canadian children. It does not take any moral fortitude or moral courage to oppose sex changes for kids. 
and yet the Conservative Party of Canada has consistently failed to do so, and very few Conservative MPs would be willing to express their opposition to sex changes for kids into any microphone. That's a very, very sad fact of Canadian politics, and I know one very high-profile Canadian politician who was asked uh, why he refused to come out and speak on these things, and his response was, well, we got to play the game. In other words, if kids are getting castrated uh, and put on puberty blockers and their bodies are sustaining irreversible damage, uh, that they're rendered infertile before they're old enough to drink, smoke, or drive, uh, that's just all part of the political game, and we'll just have to let this happen to these kids. And so now that we finally have a a premier that has some courage and others are following his footsteps, we're starting to see a discussion emerge and we're starting to see that the LGBT movement's illusion of power was just that. It's an illusion. The reason they seem so powerful is because nobody bothered to push back. The reason they, they seem so popular is because the media was profoundly disinterested in finding out what Canadians actually think about these issues. And so it's really indicative to see what the media's response to this has been, because at the Conservative Party convention this past weekend, we saw two major policies passed on the transgender issue. Uh, This is incredibly encouraging, but I would note here that, again, federal leader uh, Pierre Polyev has not commented on these two resolutions that were passed at the Conservative Party convention. So one of the policies uh, opposed sex changes for minors, and the other one emphasized support for female-only spaces. And These are really, really important policies because they're opening the debate. But immediately we saw the mainstream media distort this. So on Saturday, September 9, just to give you some of the background details, delegates of the Conservative Party of Canada Convention voted in favor of these two motions that were sort of aimed at responding to or curbing the transgender agenda. I suspect they were also in response to the revelation um, first uh, brought to their attention by Blaine Higgs that a lot of Canadians really support the transgender movement uh, being curbed. Resolution C7 called for a ban on sex changes for minors, which is children and teenagers, uh, while advocating a, quote, positive mental and physical health support for all Canadians suffering from gender dysphoria and related mental health challenges. And this resolution passed by a margin of 69% to 31%. Resolution C-15 declared the Conservative Party of Canada's position that the definition of a woman is a female person and that women are entitled to the dignity, safety, and privacy of single uh, space, single sex spaces, pardon me, for example, prisons, shelters, locker rooms, and washrooms, and the benefit benefits of women-only categories, for example, sports, awards, grants, and scholarships. That resolution passed by a margin of 87% to 13% and addressed, again, this is not, this is not, Um, a motion passed to respond to no existing problem. It's not just sort of culture war virtue signaling. Uh, The oldest rape crisis center in Vancouver lost funding because they refused to admit males. Uh, Women in Canadian domestic abuse shelters have reported actually being terrified because trans-identifying males were in their spaces. Uh, One woman reported being sexually assaulted in one of these shelters by a man identifying as a woman. So this resolution being put forward by the Conservative of, uh, Party of Canada here um, genuinely has is addressing a real need of, of events that are actually unfolding and convention, convention attendees noted that these debates were actually accompanied by real energy and the passage of both resolutions resulted in standing ovations which is incredibly uh, encouraging but almost immediately almost immediately the press rushed to run cover for the transgender movement so the headline 
and CTV News was, quote, conservative grassroots vote against surgical pharmaceutical care for transgender kids. This is just unbelievably disgusting. That's how they refer to sex changes and drugs that literally block puberty, surgical and pharmaceutical care. That's exactly the same phrasing that the Toronto Star used to headline their story as well. This is a straight up lie. However much you distrusted the media, it wasn't enough. The Globe and Mail, which is Canada's so-called paper of record, went even further, um, triggering the typical trans activist playbook by saying that these policies designed to protect women and children could in fact result in people dying. And quote, here's what the Globe and Mail had to say. Transgender conservative candidate says vote against gender affirming care could cost lives. This is precisely the same playbook that the press is using on the issue of parental rights, claiming that to involve parents in the incredibly significant decision of changing names and genders is to risk children being killed. Where, though, is the uh, headlines on this story, for example? A man who raped an infant was quietly moved to a prison with a mother and baby unit after claiming to be transgender. That happened in Canada, but you won't have read about that in any Canadian newspapers. You'd have to read about that in the Daily Mail or Alternative News. And they're just they're ramping it up. It's barely even started. And so what we're seeing is uh, stories like this one. Here's another Globe and Mail story that got published um, on September 14. Parents should be defending children's rights rather than rushing to claim their own. And the story was written by Jennifer Delisky, and she is not incidentally the parent of, quote, three LGBTQ plus children. Basically, she makes the claim uh, that parents should not be involved in these things and that it's the right of children um, to have these facts hidden hidden from their parents. And the Toronto Star published a very, very similar story. And this backlash, um, it's again, it's very revealing because the mask is slipping. We're starting to see what they actually uh, have to say. The Toronto Star's headline in response to the entire parental rights debate is that it's, quote, a privilege, not a right to know your kid's gender identity. Now, as enraging as these headlines are, I think it's a really good thing that millions of Canadian parents are now getting an up-close look at the complete and total contempt that trans activists, the media, and most politicians have uh, for the sacrifices they make for their children, for all the love they pour into their children. In response to all of that, uh, progressive political parties, the press, trans activists, in many cases, um, just repeating myself here, um, they genuinely believe that parents should be considered by default a threat to their children. And again, the, the woman who wrote this editorial for the Toronto Star, that it's a privilege, not a right to know your kid's gender identity, is not incidentally, not incidentally, uh, the parent of a so-called transgender child. Let me read the first couple of paragraphs of this editorial to give you an idea who's driving transgender policy in Canada. It's people with views like this. Here, here, here's how our column starts. My son, Zach, is transgender. He told us nonchalantly at bedtime three years ago, because he's only 11, so far his transition has been strictly social. New pronouns, new clothes, new haircut, new name. With a few exceptions, it's been as nothing burger as it sounds, end quote. I think most parents would not think that a girl identifying as a boy getting a new haircut, a new legal name, being referred to by new pronouns is a nothing burger. But this mother is trying to give the impression that social transitioning, which again, studies have proven have a profound psychological impact on the child, is a nothing burger. Let me, let me read a bit more. 
By the time he has his first appointments at the Sick Kids Gender Clinic in August 2024, he'll be 12 and a half and will have been on the wait list for 18 months. If, four years into his transition, he chooses gender-affirming medication, it will not be an impulsive decision. By gender-affirming medication, again, what they're referring to is drugs that literally block puberty and cross-sex hormones. She goes on, As an urban, liberal, agnostic Canadian, the hardest part of parenting a trans kid has been watching the anti-trans groundswell, particularly in the UK and the U.S. A USA of this month. As of this month, 22 U.S. states have enacted laws or policies ban, banning gender-affirming care for youth up to age 18. Translation, by the way, these states have banned sex changes for kids, and a key reason these laws have passed is because detransitioners, young women like Chloe Cole, who had their breasts removed while they were still young teenagers have come forward to explain that this has ruined their lives, that they suffer from long-term medical complications, that they desperately wish they had not made these irreversible decisions. That is why these, these laws have passed. These laws have passed essentially at the behest of children who were damaged by surgeons who were willing to carve up physically healthy bodies, to remove physically healthy body parts, because they wanted to, quote, affirm their gender identity, which, by the way, we're also told is fluid. We're told that gender is fluid, and yet at the same time, we're also told that gender-affirming care, air quotes, is necessary to assure that their, their body aligns with their internal gender identity. But what if that changes again? If gender is fluid, why wouldn't it change again? Kids change their minds, and yet here's this mother essentially claiming that the hardest part of having... Uh, a child who identifies as the opposite gender is watching states move to protect children like her child from making irreversible decisions with irreversible impacts while they're still a minor. It's really just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. And in short, here's what she has to say. There, here's the conclusion of her, uh, of her editorial. If you are truly the sort of parent to support your kid's gender identity, you don't need a policy to codify your right to do so. You simply need to be open, kind, caring, and create a safe space for your kid to be themselves. If you do that, they'll share their gender identity with you before they share it with their school. But not everyone is that sort of parent. That is to say, like her. So those of us who are, who are need to band together to make sure the most important rights in this discussion, the rights of children to freely express their gender are upheld and uplifted. In other words, this woman is saying that parents like you should be cut out of discussions about your child's gender identity, unless you hold the same position and share the same worldview that she does. Unless you share her view that sex and gender are different things. Unless you share her view that an ideology that just came into common practice in the last half decade is one that should be applied to all of our families. The arrogance and the dangerousness of these views are just staggering. But again, I'm glad, I'm glad that we are seeing the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, CTV, CBC come out and tell Canadian parents what they actually think of them because parents are waking up. That's why you're seeing all these protests unfold across the country now. That's why you're seeing the Muslim community get involved because they realized that they want to live and let live, that the Canadian multicultural deal of people doing their own thing and living in their own communities and living in their own cultures uh, has been broken because the LGBT movement doesn't want you to pass your values on to your kids, they want to pass their values on to your kids, and they want to use the school to do so. And when 
politicians say that you should have the right to know what the school is teaching your kid, that what they are doing with your child, they oppose the school bringing you into the loop and claim that that the human rights of your child are being violated if you are brought into the discussion um, about about what's going on. So it's interesting. I'm not yet sure if this is the beginning of a wider debate, but it feels like it might be. And the reason it feels like it might be is because Blaine Higgs did start a a political domino. Um, We've got multiple provinces now that are upholding these, you know, very, very common sense parental rights policies in both Saskatchewan and New Brunswick. Of course, the policies are being challenged in court, but you've got Scott Moe saying he'll actually use the notwithstanding clause to overrule interference and to ensure that this parental rights policy is upheld. Um, we don't know if it'll get to that, and I don't know if he, he he will for sure or not, but clearly he has seen the polls, and seeing the polls has given him the confidence uh, to essentially say, no, I'm going to stick up with parents, uh, stick up for parents, pardon me, no matter what happens. So just in the last couple of months now, you have multiple provinces taking positions on parental rights, and you have two policies intended to curb the transgender agenda passed at the Conservative Party of Canada Convention by enormous margins and to a lot of optimistic support. In response, we're seeing the press really reveal themselves, really show Canadians who they are, really tell Canadian parents what they think of them, really show their contempt for anybody who doesn't share their worldview. And we're having politicians, Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh in particular, coming out and saying that, in Jagmeet Singh's words, they'll fight like hell. For what? For sex changes for kids. And so fight like hell, I think, is a very uh, accurate accurate characterization of what they're doing here. Um, And so this is good. Hopefully we'll have a public debate in Canada. Hopefully Canadian parents will wake up and realize what the progressive parties and the press and the activists actually think about them. And maybe we'll finally have a debate that we should have had a decade ago. Maybe we'll finally get to roll back some of these policies. And above all, maybe we'll finally manage to protect kids from these parents with no values and these surgeons with no ethics. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to hear my regular show, my interviews, please head over to lifesightnews.com and click on the podcast tab. You'll find our shows there. You can listen to past shows or subscribe to get them delivered to you weekly. Thanks so much for joining us this week, and we hope you'll join us again next week.